to focus this morning on the truth of His Word, and I want us to hear that. I am not confident necessarily in who I am, but certainly I am confident in God's Word. And so if you have yet to figure out that that was Revelation 18 that was read for us, um, I want you to turn there in your Scriptures. Um, go ahead and mark it. Uh, look in there. If you have a, a tablet or a phone and you can follow along on there, in particular with the Uversion app, uh, there, the scripture is included in there for you if you find our event. And there are also some links, I'll mention those in a little bit, that will take you to some stuff we'll mention. If you have that on our version app, you can connect with us there. I need to confess to you something honestly about how I feel because one of the things that I do as I read the scriptures that I would speak on is that I would read it and I would try and feel understand what it feels like to be a part of that I, and not just to try and understand it in my head but I really try and plant it in my heart and say what does this feel like and I, I need to to tell you that as I was reading that I think it's one thing to understand that in your head but this week is I just felt burdened uh, and convicted as I read this scripture and I uh, I know that's strange in, in a sense because a lot of times when someone would stand up here and speak to us, we have this desire that they would be perfect in all ways and that they would already have all of this figured out and that they would already be, um, well, Jesus. And I want to tell you that I'm not, um, but his word is here for us today. And I want to just take a hammer and shatter whatever illusion you have that I would be perfect or that I wouldn't be struggling with this because I'm going to preach some stuff that I'm telling you um, today, God... God convicted me on this, and, and I, I actually hope he convicts you because it really would mean that you're listening to him. Um, I hope that you hear it in your heart today, and, and I don't want to give that to you as if it's something I've got it all figured out because I, um, I don't. I don't have it all figured out. In fact, it's tough, um, and I felt this burden this week as I was prepping for this. And, um, and so I want us to hear what God has to say to us in this passage, and, and I want us to see that. In fact, uh, today we're in chapter 18, and last week um, in 17, uh, um, the, the two chapters connect together, and they, they really do tie off of one another a lot. So last week we were talking about um, the prostitute that comes and uh, how that's connected today to what we see about Babylon. There's this idea of being marveled by the world and... Um, as, as we read through and we would say, how would we kind of piece together 17 and 18? There's this question that I felt like we're just rising up to the top. And it's just our big idea today. We're going to just kind of circle around this big idea. And the, the concept is self-reflection. I told you that's really what I was doing. I think chapter 18 really asks us to reflect on ourselves. And so the question that we're just going to be looking at and that we're going to be talking about is are we mourning or are we rejoicing? And so your big idea there just says at the fall of Babylon, are we going to be lamenting that or are we going to be rejoicing? Because as we'll see and we look in this, as we just saw it read, it becomes one of those um, contrasts between those who mourn and those who rejoice. So we're going to seek to answer that question. I'll tell you, we can't do that unless we really open our hearts to God. So I just want to take a moment and pray that we would do that. God, today, as we would look into your scripture and as we would seek to hear truth, our prayer really is that you would open our hearts, God, that you would help us to have hearts that are soft and moldable and available to listen, and that if our heart is hard, that you would uh, break through and that you would 
uh, break into that and that we would take away that distance that we often want to put between what you would have to say to us. God, help us to, um, to listen. And we know that you have the power to break in into our hearts and into, uh, into our lives. We pray that you would do that through these words in Revelation 18. Amen. Well, I want to just a little bit of groundwork. I already mentioned that chapter 17 and 18 really tie together and uh, talk about Babylon here in, in uh, chapter 18, and that's kind of a continuation from 17. 17 talks a lot about the prostitute, and uh, the, the words are interchanged. When we talk and we see prostitute and we see Babylon, you kind of lump those two together, and, and you can kind of think of them together. The We've talked before in our series in Revelation, if this is your first time in Revelation, we've talked that um, that you can read Revelation and, and kind of understand it in four kind of ways. Uh, certainly there are a few more than four, but in four general ways. And that all of those ways of reading through Revelation are... Um, are taken by people who know and love Jesus, and that it's uh, it, it does provide some differences. But um, we've been preaching through Revelation with a spiritualist understanding. I want to show you just a little uh, slide that's going to come up on the screen because as we talk about what Babylon or the prostitute would be for us as we're reading through this, I want to just break down kind of how that uh, the views on what that would be. And so you'll see that the historicist view. Um, on the screen as it comes up. Historicist view is going to be, they're sleeping. Um, the historicist view is going to be the papal system. Um, that that would be kind of the, um, the system of the Pope and the Catholic Church. That's what the historicists would say Babylon is. And they would say the prostitute, Babylon, that's the papal system. The preterist view looks at that and says this is Rome, or um, this is sometimes called uh, Jerusalem. And, but mostly they would look at that and they would say, this is Rome, this is the city of Rome. And um, The futurist would say that Babylon, what's being talked about here, this is a future city. They would primarily say it's a city that's not yet risen up to power. And they would mostly say that, although some futurists look and say that's the Catholic Church. And, um, of course, you can draw the lines about how the Catholic Church would rise up a city and all that stuff. What we're looking at is the spiritualist view that says the world systems, um, and um, in particular the world systems that would seduce uh, the godly. That that's really what we're looking at is when we say Babylon or when we say uh, the Babylonian systems. We're thinking in that in that realm, and that doesn't exclude Rome. In fact, uh, for John and for the um, the author of Revelation, he certainly did have Rome in mind as he was talking about Babylon, and that was the way that that this expressed itself in that time. And the world systems would be the seducers of the godly. Um, some of you are students of the word and you love to study and love to understand that. We've mentioned before that there are some commentaries that we use and that would love for you all to pick up if you would love to kind of dig in and understand that. One that I have just here, hard copy, is this Four Views Revelation. So as you see that slide, you think, where does that... This is a book that kind of walks through that. And this is where I got that. Um, understanding out of there. But this is a book, if you're on the YouVersion app today, there's a link to that, and there are links to two other um, 
commentaries there, one by Jim Hamilton and one by Beale. Uh, those are the commentaries that we feel like are just really good, and they're not all of the same view. In fact, they're different views. But what you would find is that it's helpful to have this big understanding of what's going on here. And you'll find, I think, especially those of you who love to study God's Word, you're going to find great joy as you see this big picture. You'll love it. You'll, you'll, it'll just... Um, really tickle your brain and and you'll just uh, find this massive understanding and you're going to really take joy in that um, and studying that. I do think that it's it's fun for us to understand that that it can be Rome and that Rome certainly expresses what's going on. But what I think is dangerous is that we would separate ourselves from what's going on and that we would say, well, that's about somebody else. That's not about me. Um, And um, and we're going to kind of talk about kind of why that is in just a second. Let me kind of if, if some of you are wondering when we're going like, to actually break down all these symbols of what's going on here, I need to just tell you, we can't, and I'm going to explain why. You're going to enjoy this. I'm going to blame it all on Scott. Watch. Um, so last week, Scott preached, and he stopped at verse 7 in chapter 17. Verse 7. Um, and so I would have had to like preach the rest of the chapter um, of 17 or preach 18, because I can't really talk about all the imagery and the, how the ties work without actually preaching the rest of 17, and so I made an executive decision. You see, I had been working on preparing for chapter 18 for a little bit of time, and, um, and, and then I, I looked and I thought, well, you know, we just need to get through Revelation, um, and we need to keep moving. We don't need to take another break, and I promise you, and I said that in first service, people clapped. Um, <laughs> It was a strange thing. Um, I know it's good. I know it's great. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Dig into some of those commentaries. You're going to find it's good stuff. Here's what I think God set up for us. Okay, I really do believe God set this up. And and I had a conversation with Scott about this. I'm making fun of him a little bit, but he laughs. Um, So Scott ended our sermon last week with this question. Do we marvel at the prostitute? Do we marvel at the prostitute? I read chapter 18 and I felt like this question was rising up that said, am I mourning or rejoicing? Where's my heart? Where's my heart? And I just felt like, you know what? That tie, that's divine. And and so I really am confident that God is bringing us some good truth today and that there there are lots of wonderful things if you... um, do want to study that you can find Old Testament connections between Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. You can get the most, uh, most of those are actually from the Beale commentary. I think he's the most thorough in uh, drawing of the scriptural connections. And so the Beale commentary would be one that you could pick up and find all of that. But I just want us to focus today primarily on this, this big idea and the truth that would surround that, this question, where is my heart? Where is my heart? So that's where we're going to to kind of surround ourselves. But let's look and see right where it starts here. Um, In the beginning of 18, it talks about an angel that comes. It says that an angel comes and has great authority. It has a glorious appearance. This angel we see has a mighty voice. And it's not the first time we've seen mighty voice, and it's certainly not the first time that we've seen um, a powerful or glorious uh, appearance. What we know is that when that shows up for us, 
Um, that it's, it's there for a reason. The glorious appearance is something that's kind of going to draw the eyes of those who are godly away from the, the systems that might seduce in Babylon, but draw the eyes up. And then the strong, mighty voice of this angel. We've certainly seen it many times already in Revelation. But when it comes, when the strong voice comes, the authoritative nature there is, is for us to know that what this angel is saying is certain. In fact, I could demonstrate that for you. I won't um, if I started to speak loudly because I think I'd scare a few of you. Um, But if I started to kind of shout or to yell or to have a really mighty voice, you would, would, what's he saying? And, And I think that's kind of what's going on here with this. And certainly we know that when the angel says this, whether it's bringing salvation to the godly or judgment to the wicked, it is certain. And that's why you have that loud voice. So we have this message, this um, carryover from 17 that begins again here in 18. And so there's this announcement that is made and the question must be asked, who is this announcement for? Um, Who's in danger here? Uh, Who's in danger of falling? What's going on? It says that Babylon has has fallen. And it says in verse 3 that all nations all nations, I'm not sure what nation you're a part of, but I think it's included in all. Um, All nations have, and it goes on to talk about what they have done. I I just want us to know that we're connected to what's going on here, that um, this is something that that we need to be um, connecting with, that um, all the nations have been caught up in drinking the wine of her immoral passion, and, and the kings of the earth are ready to fornicate with this prostitute. And this is not talking necessarily about like actual fornication. Uh, it's talking about this willingness, this willingness to give in to idolatry. There's a statement that we're going to see on screen. You should write this down. Um, that it's the willingness of society to commit itself to idolatry in order to maintain economic security. If you think about what that means, and certainly for John's immediate readers, that that would mean that they would be willing to kind of give themselves over to another Lord in order to maintain economic security. Think about the Roman system and what you know about that from your history class. And you're going to see how that's very powerful. But I want us to know, too, that the willingness of, of, that we might have to commit ourselves to idolatry in order to maintain economic security. Now, If you allow yourself to be disconnected from what's going on, uh, you're not being honest with yourself because this is going to start to hit really close to home. This is going to start to be something that for us we're going to be connected with. And I know that it's it's strange to think about that phrase that, that they would drink the wine of her immoral passion. You should tweet that out this morning and see what people say. But um, that th- th- they would have that idea. But there's this metaphor that's given of drinking wine. And then there's this metaphor that's given of sexual lust. And it's this lust and this desire to have and to gain economic security. And then what we see clearly is that Babylon falls. This is not a new theme that 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 God is going to judge the wicked. 
It's not a new theme in Revelation. It's something we've seen before. And it's something that if you missed Scott's sermon on Revelation 16, he did a great job of actually presenting that to us. Um, You can look that one back up in our podcast if you would like. But God brings judgment to the Babylonian systems. I asked a friend this week um, who's also in ministry, kind of were sitting and talking, and I said, would you just read Revelation 18, no context, and just tell me what you see. I thought, there are going to be people who maybe have come in late into Revelation, or maybe this is your first week hearing any sermon on Revelation. And the lack of context, I mean, we've been in this uh, book of Revelation now for 75 years as a congregation. Um, I tease. We've been in this book for a long time, and the lack of that context really does actually make a difference. And so I said, what do you see? Just no context, what do you see? And he said, he said, I really just see God's judgment of sin. And he said, I would want to know about God's judgment of sin. What does that mean? And here's one of the things we were debating, or talking, not debating. We were just kind of back and forth, back and forth, and he was saying something out. And he said, we don't even see a call to repentance. And you don't in chapter 18. There's not a call to repentance. And what I think that points out for us today are two things. If this is, if you're new in Revelation, maybe you could understand. There's this temptation for us to say, okay, Revelation, we're 18. That's pretty far into the book. So this is late in the story of, of, of what's going on. We have this tendency to think chronologically about Revelation and that it's just, all these events are just happening in, in chronological order. And that would, that would be wrong for us to think that way we talked and have printed in our worship bulletin there's what's called a chiastic structure of revelation and it it talks about how this this happens once and then in case we miss it it kind of happens again and uh, that we're in that part of revelation where it's kind of restating what's already happened and so here we are um, if it feels like we've been going through revelation for a while it's actually because we're restating what we've already talked about um, in revelation and um, and it's really there for for a Solid reasons. Scott's talked about that chiastic structure, but we we can fall back into this. Oh, this is just chronologically happening. And then because of that, another thing I think that's even a larger danger for us, a greater hole for us to kind of get stuck in, is that we have this desire to think, what's the last possible moment that I could repent? Like, tell me the the, the part in Revelation where they stop saying repent. Because I need to figure out, like, how long I've got. And, and that's this, that we can get into that desire where we just want to figure out, like, how much time do I have for I've got to get my life straightened out. I want to tell you, if that's a thought that's in your head, you're going to run into trouble understanding Jesus because it's backwards of the gospel. If you're thinking about that and you've ever thought, how much time do I have before I need to repent? If that's a part of your thinking, just you don't have to like, I'm not saying fix it right now. I'm just saying it's backwards and you're never going to figure it out because that's not the way to think about the gospel. That's backwards thinking. We're going to, I'm going to kind of show you how that's the end of our sermon. We'll get there in a little bit, but I'm going to kind of talk about what that looks like. But I just want to say that don't fall into this chronological thinking. And then it's what's the latest point in this whole destruction of, of the wicked that I have to repent. Chapter 18 does talk about judgment. And today we should be mindful of repentance. God's people are addressed here in the beginning. And God's people are not lumped in 
to those who are joined in with the Babylonian systems. They're not taking part of the sins. They're actually not even present for the judgment. They're called to separate. You're going to talk in life groups this week about what is it like to live in a Babylonian system? What would that look like for me, for us? What would that look like to live in a Babylonian system? And a lot of times it feels like we're right in the middle of Babylon, and you guys are going to list some of that out in your life groups this week. But there's a reminder of why Babylon's being judged there in, in verse 7 and 8. And we would kind of look at that, and, and here's what you see. I see more than anything self-reliance is what I see, that Babylon is relying on the systems of, uh, of, of stuff they've built up themselves. It says, I sit as queen, and mourning I shall never see. Sit as queen, and mourning I shall never see. You find that Babylon is trusting in themselves. They're trusting in the economic and the political systems that they have built. I think our church, our people, God's people, must be aware that this is something that we could get pulled into. If you don't think it's, it's a warning, I mean, this is, again, not, nothing new. This is going back through Revelation. If you remember from chapter 3, we talked about all the churches and the letters that were written to the churches in the beginning. There was one to a church in Laodicea in chapter 3, verse 17. It's uh, this church. They kind of proclaim. They say, I have become rich and wealthy, and I have need of nothing. So the church in Laodicea says, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I have no needs. I have no needs. That, it's so easy for us to lean into self-reliance. It's so easy for us to, to do that, to kind of put our security in things that might fall. I think about this Babylonian system, and I think about you and I, and I just would ask these questions. I'd say, what would it feel like, what would it be like if the stock market fell? What would it be like or feel like if Washington, D.C. went to rubble? What would it feel like if the United States collapsed? What would it feel like if the money you have, some of you even in your pockets right now, or in the bank account, what if those dollar bills, those hundred dollar bills, what if it was all just worth nothing? It was actually worth less than regular paper because you could write on regular paper. What if it was worth nothing? Nothing. We should be challenged to recognize the systems that we often put so much of our faith in will fail, and if we look at this text, have already fallen. So we ask ourselves, where's our heart? It's the question we cannot avoid. We see the merchants, we see the kings of the earth, we see these people who have gotten rich on the system of the economy of Babylon. We see those who have, who have gotten power, the kings of the earth, because of the system going on there. And when the destruction happens, they lament. They, actually, it says they stand off and they weep. They're in shock. How did this happen? What does this mean? Let me tell you, this is not out of some like altruistic uh, uh, feeling that they have. This is certainly something for them that is not selfless in any sense of the imagination. They're weeping because they know that's their money. That's their power. They're not weeping for someone else standing off. They're standing off and they know, that's my stuff. 
The Babylonian systems were their source of wealth and their source of power. Now, I'm not going to say, or please don't hear that I would say that Christians should all just reject money or should reject politics or reject anything like, don't reject influence. In fact, here's what I would say, that influence and money are tools that help us share the gospel. Let me give you an example. Money is a wonderful tool that helps us feed homeless people. Money is what actually digs wells in Africa. Money buys mosquito nets. Money is a tool that we use to bring the gospel to other people. The lesson here is not about money. The lesson here is not about politics. The lesson is about your heart. Don't deflect this onto those things. The lesson is about your heart. So where's your heart? Where are you getting your needs met? I know it's strange to read a quote in the middle of a sermon, but here's what I did. I just read this and I thought, I can't say that any better. I'm going to put up part of that quote on the screen and then I'm going to kind of read the rest of it. But I just want you to listen to this quote from Jim Hamilton in his commentary. He says, Are you going to a spiritual prostitute for your safety, security, health, purpose, provision for the future? and self-esteem. And he goes on to say, do you feel good about yourself because the world respects you? Or do you feel good about yourself because you trust in Jesus and are united to Him by faith? And that makes you righteous and right with God. Do you feel good about yourself because you think you can make a lot of money and ensure your future? Or do you feel good about yourself because you trust in your Heavenly Father to meet all your needs because He is good and you can trust Him? Do you feel good about yourself because you know your agenda, know your goals, and are chasing your dreams? Or do you feel good about yourself because you are seeking your joy and the joy of those you love, and it feels good to make sacrifices for them that benefit them? Do you feel good about yourself because you have a sound mind, a strong body, and you have great health insurance? Or do you feel good about yourself because the purpose of your life is to make much of Jesus and death will be gain because you will be in His presence and you are confident that He will raise your body to be like His glorious body on the last day. Friends, we must be freed from the attractions of the prostitute. We must be freed from that which would seduce us to place our citizenship in Babylon. If we find ourselves marveling in the red light district of the world, these chapters in Revelation are a wake-up call that those ways are a dead end. They don't pan out. When I understand that the way of Babylon ends in destruction, I have to live differently today. When I know that Babylon has fallen, I live a different life. I make sure that my citizenship is not in Babylon because I know that God is bigger than Babylon. I mentioned the Old Testament parallels to what we were talking about this morning and how all of these things were really neat and gave us a lot of insight and that we wouldn't talk about them. I'm going to make one exception. There's 
Uh, there actually is a city in Babylon that kind of rose up to strength. And in particular, um, many of you are familiar from your history courses about how Nebuchadnezzar kind of um, grew this up to perhaps his greatest strength ever. Uh, most would say its greatest strength ever. In 539 B.C., we have this picture of Babylon as a city. And this is kind of how it would, it would, it would look this way. Imagine four walls around this humongous city. And the, the walls actually um, they span across this river, the Euphrates River, um, and the river runs underneath the walls. And so you have this huge city, and I just want to give you just an idea of how big we're talking. The walls were 350 feet tall and 75 feet thick, just for um, an idea. Where I'm standing to the back wall in our room today is like 60-something feet, so it's thicker than that. And I'm thinking hammer and chisel, not so much. Um, so how do you get through that if you're attacking that city? And, and you're thinking, well, I'm a great swimmer. I could swim underneath in the current of the river and get in. But there are metal gates, actually, metal um, gates that go down underneath that wall. And so even if you could hold your breath the entire length of the swimming pool and then try and figure out how to work on that metal, I mean, you're, no, no. Um, you have to swim back up the current of the river to get a breath. This city was tremendous picture of strength. I mean, you talk about just building the greatest defense system you could have. These walls were huge, and they had water flowing through. They didn't have to worry about the water. And in fact, um, some historians say that they had as much as 20 years of provisions inside of that city. They could withstand an assault for 20 years and still be eating good. That's a powerful city. Do you know your history? The city of Babylon fell in a single day. In 539 B.C. The Persians attacked and they said, what are we going to do? Well, they're smart people. You know what they did? They diverted the Euphrates River and they walked under the gates into the city. How did they, how did they not even get spotted? Well, Babylon, they were resting, they were drinking, they were celebrating their security. They didn't even realize what was happening. The city fell in a single day. We look in Revelation, and you draw those connections there. In verse 19, it tells us that, Revelation, or that Babylon, in verse 19, falls in a single hour. Now we know and we see numbers in Revelation. We've talked about this before. These numbers are to be weighed, not counted. And so when we weigh this number, we would say, what does that mean? Well, it's kind of like us saying, hey, can you... Just a minute. Or hold on just a second. When they say what an hour, that's like the shortest period of time they knew. You forget they didn't have microwaves. So like an hour was a short period of time. And so say just an hour is kind of like saying it happened like right, like instantly. In just a moment, there was really no notice. And so we weigh that and it says in just an hour, we know the history of the actual city of Babylon. Friends, let me just say, when I, when I look at that and I say, God, what are you saying to me? It's that in my culture, where, have I, where am I resting on my 350 feet high walls that are 75 feet thick? What am I resting on that you're going to take away in an instant? God has continuously demonstrated his power over the systems of the earth. Write that down. God has continuously demonstrated his power over the systems of the earth. The repetitive destruction that we see in the Old Testament prophecies should 
teach us, should show us that we fail when we place our security in our economics or our politics. We live in a hyper-paced culture today. I wonder how quickly our systems could fall. How quickly could they be destroyed? But we often rest in our own confidence. The contrast that we see in the rest of the passage today is this contrast between those who are weeping and mourning and those who are rejoicing. In fact, if the contrast becomes striking for us. We see this, and there's a quote out of the Beale commentary I want to read for you. It says, Just as saints are commanded in 12.2 to rejoice because of the inaugurated victory over Satan, so here they are commanded to rejoice because of the consummated victory over the satanic system. He goes on and he says, The focus is not on delight in Babylon's suffering but on the successful outcome of God's execution of justice, which demonstrates the integrity of Christians' faith and of God's just character. You know, I think about the rejoicing of, of, of those people in this passage, and it brings to mind for me just how impure my motives are. Because I'll tell you what I'm feeling. I'm pointing and laughing and being joyful in people that persecuted, it says, had the bloods of martyrs, the blood of martyrs in the gates, persecuted Christians, and now are getting their just reward. For me, I'm like, easy to be joyful about that. That's impure. I'm telling you, I'm sinful. I told you that. Um, It's impure, but I know that it's hard for me to understand. How do I rejoice in that like you are, God? In fact, are you telling me that I'm lamenting? Like, where am I in this story? And I'm I'm questioning my heart. And I I look and I see these words in verse 14. It says, the fruit for which you're so longed. I'll tell you, I asked myself over and over and over again this week. I said, what's the fruit that my soul desires? What is the fruit that my soul desires? What's the fruit my soul longs for? I was asking myself that over and over and over again. What's, what do I desire deep down? You know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded that I can't trust my sinful heart and that if I, sit, if I really think about what's going on, a lot of times my motives are wrong. A lot of times my heart's wrong. A lot of times I'm tempted to rejoice in the wrong thing. And, and I'm saying, well, so the, how do I rejoice in God what you're doing? How do I rejoice in that? I don't want to look at these false depictions of glory. I don't want to be marveling at the prostitute. I don't want to to do these things. The temptation is to say, well, okay, if I find myself like I like money too much or maybe I found that I really like personal security, you know, I could take joy in like my alarm system or uh, you could take joy in something like that. Maybe, Maybe you feel like, um, that you're feeling this sense of, of pride and you know that that's not something that you should have. It should be humble. And, and then you, tr- you find something like that, whatever it is for you. You find something like that. And, and then you say, God, work that out for me. A lot of times what we tend to do is we focus externally on an issue that's happening internally. We, we focus externally and we say on something that's happening internally. And, and we we land ourselves smack in the middle of legalism. 
And here we are in the middle of this legalistic way of saying, I want to fix these things so that then I can rejoice in what God wants me to rejoice in. When I'm tempted to just get frustrated over that entire picture, here's what I want us to remember. I want you to write this down. Rejoice in the God who has called you. And you'll learn to rejoice in what he's called you to. Rejoice in the God who's called you. And you'll learn to rejoice in what he's called you to. Are you struggling because you're marveling over the systems of Babylon? Do you struggle to put your security in your 401k or your bank account or your real estate or your security system? Are you struggling to put your security and your trust in the economic and political systems of the world? Do you feel safe because we have a strong military and our nation has a strong history and we live in a wonderful town? If you're struggling with this and you're saying, I'm seeing my heart's there, don't buy in to legalism. Rejoice in the God who's called you. And you'll learn to rejoice in what he's called you to. I want to just wrap it up by telling you about um, this is not the first time in Scripture that we've seen a really cool story about a prostitute. If you love studying Scripture, you can easily recall back to the story of Hosea in our Old Testament. And there's this book in Hosea, uh, of our Bible where God calls a man named Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. And he says, this is not like a sick joke. He says, I'm telling you to do this because I want to demonstrate in your marriage, Hosea, how much I love you. And so in this passage, uh, we, we watch how Hosea struggles to be married to a prostitute. At one point in the story, uh, Gomer, who's Hosea's wife, has gone and she's um, committing adultery with someone else. She's actually living in the household of another man. And she had found herself in this position of actually being like a sexual slave. And God says to Hosea, go and, go and find her and make her your wife again. And so he goes and he, he finds Gomer and, and he buys her back. Uh, he actually pays the price of a slave for her and he buys her back. And I just, I think about that and I think about how God says, you Tommy, or that prostitute, you sell your heart to systems of the world. And you put your trust in bank accounts. You put your trust in the United States of America. And you put your trust in things that are not me. And that's why you rest. And God says, you know, you, you commit spiritual adultery. And yet I... I want to give you a picture of what it's like to buy you back. Can I tell you that Jesus has come to buy you and I back? When we commit spiritual adultery, Jesus has come and paid the price for us. We don't have to face this judgment, friends, that we see in Revelation. It doesn't have to be there for us. And we need to be reminded of the price that was paid for us and how much God loves us and how much He's willing to do for us, even when our hearts are ready to go live in another household. God wants to buy us back, and He has.
And some of us here today, we've never said yes to that adoption, to that relationship with Jesus. And I just want to invite you today that you would do that and that you would have the opportunity today that you would say yes to that and that you would maybe symbolize that for the first time in this picture of baptism that we have to be united not to the world, not to the passions of the flesh, but united to Jesus Christ who's paid that price for you and that we can trust that our bodies will not lie in the rubble of Babylon but will be raised up to be like the glorious body of Jesus Christ. And we have that confidence and assurance in the work of Jesus And we unite in baptism with Him. If if that's something that you need to do today, we would invite you to do that. We're going to sing in just a minute. And that you would come and that you would say yes to baptism for maybe the first time ever. Some of you are flying through life and you're you're just solo. And and you have no connection. And you're, you're seeing what's going on. You're thinking, I want to rejoice, God, in what you're doing. But you're singing by yourself. I want to invite you to place membership with a group of people you can sing with and rejoice with and walk through life with, and as a baptized believer, to come and place membership with us. And the last invitation I would give would be, maybe you're recognizing some self-reflection that you just need to spend some time in prayer today. If you need to pray with one of our elders, you could come forward. We'll spend some time in prayer with you. I want to pray for us, and then we'll stand and sing. God, may your word be sealed, not because of human wisdom, human words, but because of your Holy Spirit. May this be truth to us, not because of some clever story or some way of speaking or arranging words, but truth because it's in your word. It's in there. This book, this Bible, it's what we see and what we know, and it's your word spoken to us. So God, seal that in us today, that it would impact who we are and the way we live, and we would bring glory to you in all that we do. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Stand and sing. tries to hide and trembles at his voice trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great 